welcome to the podcast of Calvary Baptist Church of Taylorville, Illinois. I hope this podcast stirs your desire for the things of God, and we hope that your faith in Christ will grow like never before. Now let's get into the podcast. Amen. Amen. Thanks, band. You guys are amazing. Give it up for our awesome band this morning. Man. Look at Nate. He knows how to do everything back there hitting those drums. I'm so jealous. I can't do any of that. But we all do what we're supposed to do and what we're called to do, right? And what we're gifted to do. Hey, so we're starting a brand new series today, and I'm really stoked about it because it's on the topic of hope. Uh, raise your hand if you need more hope, right? Uh, raise your hand if you're not telling the truth. Okay, well then, we all need some hope. So, hey, it's all, it's all going to be uh, just, I think, just a blessing for us to be together for these four weeks as we dig into not just the topic of hope, but specifically, we're going to look at Old Testament references that ultimately point to the fulfillment of our hope, which is in Christ Jesus. So that's why I'm excited. And I've been sitting on this for quite some time. And this series, the Christmas series, is always a challenge for me. This is Honestly, this is the hardest series to put together, and I feel like that God has, has really blessed us and blessed me with this lane by which to talk about uh, the things in Christmas while also being true to the Word and being true to where we are in the world right now. So I'm really excited, and uh, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm like really, really, really stoked. And I've only had one cup of coffee this morning, so that's it. So you're like, it's coffee. No, I've only had one, but... But I, I'm ready. Hey, I also want to just to just to honor some folks who are in the room. Greg and Michelle Wendell are our longtime missionaries, over 20 years. If you'd stand, please, both of you. I know Michelle was here yesterday. She spoke and did a great job at uh, at the ladies' brunch, which was an amazing event. And uh, I know that it was just fun, and it was great to serve too. But Greg, you weren't here last week. You're skipping church, man. Come on. Now, he was sick, and he's better now. Hey, so good to have you back home. I know Africa is home for you, but we consider you uh, family, so you're home here. Amen? So, and they'll be here for several months, and you're going to hear some messages from Greg throughout his, uh, their time back before they go back to Kenya. And so here's the thing. Um, Faith Promise Missions, we talked about the last couple weeks, and Last week, we had, you had an opportunity to give in your pledges for next year. If you've not done that, you can still bring in those pledges. We're tallying those things up, but we also know that there's some people who weren't here, and they would like to also give a faith pledge promise um, for next year, just so we can continue to support missionaries like Greg and Michelle and all the other missionaries around the world and right here in our own country that we support. So be mindful of that. Do that if you feel compelled to do so. I want to begin this morning before we get into our passage of Scripture. By the way, we're going to look at one verse of Scripture, and then we're going to use other things to support it because it's a dangerous thing just to base one ser- a verse, base a sermon off one single verse because you could kind of get lost in translation. So we're going to support that with other passages. But if you have your Bible, you can open up to probably the first page in Genesis, into Genesis 3, looking at verse 15 before we look at the other supporting verses. And while you do that, I'll just... Uh, begin in this way, because I think this is kind of where we find ourselves. I've realized something over the last, say, month or so, that men and women both are problem solvers, are they not? Are we problem solvers, yes or no? Yeah, we have to be, but we solve problems in different ways. Like, for instance, 
most of the men, and I'm just going to broadly sweep across here, most of the men think that they can handle just about any situation themselves, that they don't need help, that it's like, that it's okay, that they've got it. It's them in a YouTube video and some tools, and they can probably fix it. Now, granted, if, say, you have a plumbing issue, and you have a plumbing issue, and, and you just want to handle it yourself. Sure, a guy can just do it. He can white-knuckle it. He can go in, and he can start with leaky pipes, and he can go to Ace Hardware five times to buy things to repair his plumbing, and he can get the tools that he needs, right? And then he comes back home with these tools and a lot of frustration, and he still has leaky pipes. Is that true? Yeah, that can be true. Sorry. Sorry, Ryan. I know that's real life for you, okay? I know. I, I just It was fresh in my mind, and I saw you. But here's the thing. We all handle in different ways. We're all problem solvers, though. Like, for instance, ladies, your your answer to solving problems is never just, excuse me, it's not usually just, just you. Usually, it's you look for a social solution to a problem. Like, for instance... If your husband has a plumbing issue, say, and he's just fighting it by himself and he's taking all these trips to Ace Hardware, your, your answer is to that problem is a social problem. You say, honey, why don't we call a plumber, right? Or my dad or a friend or somebody who knows what's going on or you don't know, or like all of these things. Like you need to get some help. I mean, we all do this even when it comes to our medical things, don't we? We're like, how many times have you just kind of limped off a wound you should have gone to the doctor for, but yet you made every excuse not to go to the doctor, right? You, you probably did this. I've did this. I mean, I, I had, a, I had a, a tubular fracture in my left foot, all the way in the far side of my left foot, that I broke at, a, at an event with a bunch of teenagers because I love teenagers. I'm like, all in. I'll break bones for you. And uh, so at this event with teenagers, and I'm, I'm jumping on these, I went to jump on these trampolines, didn't even make it to the trampoline. I was running up a warp wall at this student event, snapped my foot. And I was in denial for the next, like, five, six hours. I drove the church van, by the way, and I drove it back with a broken foot, didn't know. And everybody said, I think you need to go to the doctor. I'll be fine. I'll be fine. Could you help me? I'll be fine, you know. We go to Chick-fil-A, and I'm hopping. Literally, I'm hopping on one leg out of the van in there, and they're like, PC, I don't think you're going to be fine. I'll, I'll be fine. Until I went home, and then Marla said, I don't think you're fine, and I'm sitting in the chair. She's like, I think you need to go see a doctor. I did. And you know what they said? the darndest thing. You've got a broken foot. And, and it required some surgery and, and healing and whatever. We, we all, men and women, we are problem solvers, but we solve them in different ways. We just do. Usually ladies, you're like, hey, this problem is bigger than us. We need some help. And guys, we're like, I'll be fine. I mean, we're the ones who like go to the grocery store, have 50 bags of groceries, and we think we can do it in one trip, right? We can just take it all in the house in one trip. Do you need help? No, I'll be fine. Okay, sure. Or we say, I'm good. We tell ourselves these stories all the time. And when it comes to some anecdotal things or kind of funny things or just normal everyday things, even plumbing or whatever, any type of repair, we can usually kind of botch our way through it. But when it comes to spiritual things, sometimes we take the same approach. Like if there's a spiritual problem, like we know there's a spiritual problem, we sense there's distance between us and God, sometimes we just bluff our way through it and we get into these gatherings and somebody sees it all over our face and they're like, hey, are you okay? And you're like, no, I'm good. But you're really not good. And sometimes we just need to be honest to say, I'm not good. Because it's when we say, I'm not good, A, that invites God in to help us, but also invites somebody else in to help us. 
And that's what we're, we're supposed to be part of the family of God, right? That's what we are. That's how we participate. We aren't just this gathering on Sunday morning who just sings songs and, and claps and cheers and prays and cries and laughs. Like, it's more than that. It's some of those things, but it's more than that. We're all in a spiritual battle, and we're supposed to be doing it together, all of us together. You see, we can make ourselves believe certain things. We can make ourselves believe that things are not as bad as they seem and make ourselves believe that we can just handle it ourselves. We can, we can convince ourselves, no, I'm good, when I'm really not good. And we can try and convince ourselves over and over and over by saying, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And yet, although we may be convinced in our mind, but we're not convinced in our spirit. And what saddens me is when somebody comes into the local church and they bluff their way and I see them struggling and they're unwilling to admit with what's going on. They're unwilling to admit that there's a spiritual struggle that's going on inside them. There's so much courage that is offered when someone is honest on the outside about what's going on on the inside. And the reality is this, we all face these things together. So I thought of one, uh, a way that I had Brian make this image up to convey this to us when we start talking about our spiritual life and the world that we live in right now. And so I just want to encourage you with this. Things are worse than they appear. Things are worse than they appear. They are. Things are worse than they appear. So we can't bluff our way through and just say, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, because we're probably not good. The good news is this because you're waiting for the good news. In Christ, things get better than they appear. In Christ, things get better than they appear. The passage of Scripture that we're going to dig deeply into, we're going to find three huge value points from this passage with other supporting passages, is what we're going to see is God is giving this message of hope in the midst of struggle. God is giving this, this message of hope in Genesis, right, in, the, in, in a part of Scripture that maybe we look at with, we kind of think negative of this passage of Scripture because it's part of Genesis 3, which talks about what happened when sin was introduced into the world. And oftentimes we, we start Genesis 3 and we're like, that sounds like bad, 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 bad news. And we kind of trail off our interest as we go along the passage and miss what we're going to see in this passage, which is hope. Because God wanted his people and he wants, uh, wants his people today to even in the midst of the struggle, even in the midst of strife, even in the midst of circumstances, even in the midst of pain, even in the midst of grief, that you would see the goodness and grace of God. And that's what we will see in this passage. Genesis 3, verse 15. Look at this message. Right in the middle of God sending a message to the serpent, sending a message to the devil, right here in the midst of, of the cursed verse of Genesis 3. Notice what, what God says to the serpent. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. The word enmity is not a word that we use very often. It means hostility or to be hostile. It also means to make war with. So going back through with a better understanding of that word, I will put enmity, I will put hostility between you, Satan, and the woman, that being Eve, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What might we find from this passage? What we'll find is is that although that 
that we look at this, and, and again, it seems dark, it seems negative, and it's in the middle of the curse verse, the curse chapter, rather, that God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. In other words, there's three different things here. If you're filling blanks, the first thing you see here is God is saying the woman will do battle with the serpent. God is telling the devil that though Eve was tempted in the garden and it seemed so easy for her to be tempted in the garden and, and though sin was introduced into humanity, God is telling the devil Eve is not going to go down without a fight. That Eve is not just going to be passive and her offspring is not going to be passive, that there will be a fight. That though the, the, the serpent, the devil, the evil one, the accuser, Satan himself, though he may think that he's won the battle and the battle is going to be easy, the first thing we see is Eve will not be taken without a fight. That it's not going to be as easy as what Satan thinks that, that it is. That's the reason why he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. There will be hostility. She will not be taken easily. That she too will have a strength. And then also between your offspring and hers, this is making a reference between, uh, with Christ and the church. This is a messianic prophecy. Some say this is the earliest messianic prophecy. A prophecy about Jesus and the, and the ultimate victory that Jesus would ultimately bring. And yet there's a reality that we have to sit in here. That although the word says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He, Jesus Christ, will crush your head, Satan's head, and you will strike his heel. Although that is a, a positive thing, although there's, there's victory to be found there, there is also pain to be found there. Because notice what this passage also says, that he, Jesus Christ, will crush your head and you will strike his heel. In other words, Jesus will feel pain. That there will still be spiritual war. There's a connection from history that I think is, is relevant. In a, in a common business book, one of the most common, most uh, bought business books of all time, the book... Uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins, he, he highlights this admiral. And the admiral's name is James Stockdale. And what Collins writes about Admiral Stockdale, and Admiral Stockdale, by the way, was a prisoner of war for seven years in Vietnam, tortured. He was the highest ranking individual, I believe, in the history of, of the military, certainly of that war, that would then become a prisoner of war. And he was tortured, and yet he was hopeful in the middle of his torture. Jim Collins writes about this, this Stockdale effect, and, and what he says is this. He says, although the torture was the highest, Stockdale believed in the best. He believed that there was hope even beyond that, that time of torture, that there was something coming, that he was still being hopeful for the future, although he was realistic about his present day. Some of us say it in this way, you believe in the best and you plan for the worst. That's not what Jim Collins says, but that's the same point. It's the idea of, although we live in a fallen world, although this, the day and age that we live in is, is one that's not easy. It's not easy to maintain a, a life of faith. It's not, 
easy to, to have integrity with God in, in the Word of God. It's not easy to come to church every Sunday morning. It's not easy to be in, in a life group. It's not easy to do these things, and yet all of these are examples of the spiritual battle that we're in the middle of. But we're not called to do easy things. We're called to do hard things with God's strength. We are. Not very many amens on that one, but it's true. We're called to do hard things. That means sometimes when we get into this place and and you don't hear your favorite song, the best thing you can say is nothing and just move on because this gathering isn't about us. Sometimes you can come in and hear something that's unsettling to you, but if it's faithful to the word of God and it's disruptive to you, the best thing we can say is nothing. And yet we just go to God and say, God, I don't understand this difficulty. Maybe I just have to tack this up to the spiritual battle that we're in the middle of. And maybe I just need to be in alignment with you, God. Instead of us giving our own opinion and us sharing and us actually causing more problems within even the faith community or the, the community outside of us to just air random opinions. Instead, what maybe what we need to do is we just need to talk just, just to chalk this up and say, this is part of the spiritual battle and I'm in the middle of, but I probably don't know much about it. Because if we have that kind of mode and that kind of heart, what, what that'll do, I believe, is to drive us to a sense of humility. And it's the humility that God wants us to have that makes us open ready to receive God, ready to receive His Word, ready to live in community. But that starts with humility. There's some other things also about this passage. Not only will the woman do battle with the serpent, she's not going to lay down easy in the middle of this this battle, but also that the battle will continue between the seed of the woman, that being righteous mankind is what's being personified here, and the seed of the serpent, that is wicked mankind. So not only is this battle going to be in the, the spiritual rub. Caleb, hit the button one time, buddy. Thank you, sir. Not only is this in the spiritual realm, in the demonic and angelic realm, but also it's going to be in the physical realm, the personal realm. That the battle would continue with the seed of the woman, that talking about righteous mankind, those of us who've given our lives to Jesus Christ and who are born again. Those of us who are true children of God, that we've been adopted into God's family. That we no longer are, are just living for ourselves, but we're living to the glory of God and we're living to the, to the good of this world with God's strength. That the battle would continue, again, not just in the spiritual realm, that we can just chalk that up as like, I don't know much about it, so I'll just write that off. Instead, we have to be in the reality that we're in the middle of this battle. But that the battle will continue with mankind that there will be a struggle of right and wrong. There will be, there will be ethical challenges. There will be morale, uh, the dis- morality challenges in the world that we live in that we are not always going to be looked at with hopefulness and optimism. That the world will turn against us because what is being said in this passage in Genesis 3.15 is this battle not only is, is angelic and satanic, it's also about people who follow the ways of the Lord and people who follow the ways of the evil one. And we are smack, right smack dab in the middle of this struggle. This is where we find ourselves. This is no easy task. And also, if we're right smack dab in, in the middle of this of this, we're either on, on the side of God or on the side of evil, that means that, there's, that there is no DMZ in the middle. That there is no demilitarized zone, if you're familiar with that. 
There was a fallout in the 50s after the Korean War that, that was that one of the, the armistice agreement was that they would just have this demilitarized zone in between South Korea and North Korea. And it was kind of a, a go, no-go zone. It was like, hey, I'm not going to mess with you if you don't mess with me. We're going to just put this gap between us. And in this, this is like neutral turf. And although that may have worked since the 1950s after uh, the Korean War, Spiritually, we can't think that there's a DMZ between good and evil because there is no gap in between. It's just good or it's evil. That's it. And we have to be honest and ask ourselves, if we are in the middle of this spiritual battle and it's either righteous mankind or wicked mankind, which, which team am I on? And I'm, I'm not trying to make this an adversarial thing. I'm not trying to make you an enemy. I'm simply not. I, I'm, I'm trying to use the word of God to offer hope. But before we get to the level of hope that we have in Christ, we have to be honest about where we are. Because if we think we're saved and we're not actually saved, what we're actually doing is just band-aiding the problem. And the problem is one of the soul. And I, I'm not willing to sacrifice you for the sake, listen to me, friends, And I say this in love. I'm not willing to sacrifice your soul to make you feel good. I I won't do that. That's not fair to you. It's not loving to you. That would be my way of saying, I'm just going to love you right to hell. And I don't want to do that. C.S. Lewis, he talks about this spiritual struggle. And he said, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch and every split second is claimed by God and counterclaimed by Satan. Like, I don't know about you, but I feel the, the, I feel the struggle here. I feel the tension here. I feel the tension in the world that we live in. Because just as, as Jim Collins talks about, the, about that effect from Admiral Stockdale of like, he is true to reality, but he's also hopeful of the future. I want to be both of these things. And the reason why it's called the Stockdale Stockdale Paradox is because you have to hold both things at the same time. Because in one way, you have to be hopeful for the future, and I want you to be, and you should be if you're in Christ. And then you also have to be honest about the situation that we find ourselves in right here on planet Earth. And also be honest about this. Every temptation is an invitation to live independently of God. Every temptation that the evil one gives you is an imitation to live independently of God. If that isn't a sober, so, a sober thought, I don't know what is. The third takeaway from this passage is the battle between this, the two seeds will end with Jesus Christ victoriously defeating Satan. We can say amen to that, right? So the reality is Eve, first takeaway, Eve is not going to go down without a fight. It's not going to be as easy as to God's message to Satan. It's not going to be as easy as you thought it was going to be. The second one, that we're in the middle of a spiritual struggle where there is no DMZ. It's either righteous mankind or wicked mankind. There's no middle ground. There's no, there's no seekers that are just like on the path in between. It's, it's one or the other. And the third is this, that the battle between the two seeds will end. It will end. This is the hopeful part. It will end with Jesus victoriously defeating Satan. Back to our, our passage in verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, first takeaway, between your offspring and hers, second takeaway, third takeaway. He will crush your head. 
Jesus will crush the serpent's head. He will defeat the serpent. But it says that you, Satan, will strike his heel. There will be a struggle. Satan will be defeated. I love how the the New Testament sometimes answers questions of the Old Testament and vice versa. In Galatians 4, 4 and 5, it helps us to understand this a little, even a little bit better. But when the time had fully come, God had sent his son born of a woman. That's the seed of Eve, by the way. Born under law. So Jewish, the Jewish law. To redeem those under the law. That we may receive the full rights of sons. So again, here's a New Testament reference drawing from the Old Testament. Helping us to better understand it. Satan wounded Jesus, but Jesus will defeat defeat Satan. He will defeat him. This passage of Scripture, a lot of historians and church fathers actually call this passage of Scripture the Proto-Evangelium, which stands for First Gospel. So the first reference to the Gospel in all of the Bible, verse 15 of Genesis 3. Let's see how things began. We're going to do just a little bit of a deep dive on this, the serpent, Satan, the accuser, the devil. In Genesis 1.31 says this, Then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. So he had, he had looked at everything that he had made. He had looked through uh, every created thing, not just on earth, but also he looked at, at the angels and everything that he had made. And it's like and he, he saw that it was good. It was positive. It was, it was as it was supposed to be. And yet there's a change that happens in Isaiah 14, 12 through 17. There's something that happens where God inspires Isaiah to write this down. And this is a reference about the enemy, about Satan himself. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You've been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. This is what Satan was trying to do. He's like, I'm going to overthrow God. I'm going to take what is God's. I deserve what is God's. Instead, God's word says, In this passage, instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to the lowest depths. Everyone there will stare at you and ask, how can can this be the one who shook the earth and made the kingdoms of the world tremble? Is this the one who destroyed the world and made it into a wasteland? Is this the king who demolished the the world's greatest cities and had mercy or had, had on mercy on its prisoners? Another passage from the Old Testament, Ezekiel 28. 12 through 19. I'll give you just a moment to flip there. Another reference in the Old Testament to to the serpent and also a reference to the origin of Satan himself allowing us to know who he is, what he's about, what he's always been about. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 19. Ezekiel being a prophet largely to the exiles at the time. He writes this, This is what the Sovereign Lord says about Satan. 
You are the model of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you, ruby, topaz, emerald, chrysolite, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and beryl. Your settings and, mort- and, and mountings were made of gold. On the day you were created, they were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, so I ordained you. You were on the holy mount of God. You walked among the, the, the fiery stones. You were blameless in the ways from the day you were created till wickedness was found in you. Through your widespread trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I drove you in disgrace from the mounts of God and I expelled you, O guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud on account of your beauty and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you out, I threw you to the earth. I made a spectacle of you before kings. By your many kings and dishonest trade, you have dis, uh, desecrated your sanctuary. So I made a fire come out of you and it consumed you. And I reduced you to ashes on the ground in the sight of all who are watching. All the nations who, who knew you are appalled at you. You have come to the horrible end that will be no more. So we see how Satan was a guardian angel, a cherub is an angel. Anytime you see cherub, just think of, of, of that being an angel or angelic. If you see the word cherubim, it's just the, the plural of cherubim. So that just means more than one cherub. But there was something special about Satan that he was chosen, that originally he was created as good, but the angels have the will of their own. Some angels have fallen um, and chosen to, to side with the demonic one. And they are those who, the, the, dark, uh, the dark spiritual forces against the this, this light spiritual forces, uh, those of being angelic or with God. In verse 17, it says, Your heart became proud on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. And then God says, So I threw you to the earth kicking him out of heaven. And he still has his, Satan still has his time right here where he's wreaking havoc among us. I want to say some things about Satan, and this will help us to understand uh, certain things because we have a lot of misconceptions when it comes to Satan. Satan is not equal to God. He was created by God. He's not equal to God. Ezekiel 28, 15. He's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere at all times. Ephesians 6, 12. He's not doing whatever he pleases. Job 1, 12. And he's not simply a, a force of evil. Job 1, or Matthew 4, 1 through 12, and you could look at the three temptations of Jesus in Matthew 4 to see that. So Satan is not equal to God. He's not omnipresent. He's not doing whatever he pleases. He's not simply a force of evil that we just need to, uh, just to kind of wash away like, it's, like he has no effect. What might this also mean? That means that in our world that we need to be very weary of the things that pose a spiritual threat to God's plan. That means if we're put in a temptation to, to uh, cooperate or to, to work with or to dabble in 
some new age mystical things, we need to stay away from them. Which means if we have an opportunity to, to dabble with a quote-unquote harmless game known as a Ouija board, that we need to stay away from that foolishness. We need to stay away from that wickedness. That means we don't need to have any sort of like mystical stones in our house to bring good energy. That's demonic. That's not of the Lord. That's not the DMZ. That's wickedness. That doesn't mean that in our house we need to just hedge our bets and we need to have Jesus, uh, you know, an image of Jesus on the cross and Jesus off the cross and we need to have a, a Buddha and we need to have this and we need to have some stones and we need to have some, all of these other things like just to cover all the spiritual grounds. No, we don't need to do that. Instead, we need to, to focus our attention on Jesus because all of these other things are things that would disrupt us or become idols to actually get in the way of our walk with God and living in victory with God. The world that we live in is filled with all sorts of opposition. And listen to me, church, it's opposition with a friendly face. It's opposition with a friendly face, and it may seem like it's harmless. There is no DMZ. It's either light or it's dark. I know we don't like to look at black and white things, and some of you are like, where's the gray? There is no gray. When it comes to spiritual things, we're either, we're either of the Lord or we're not of the Lord. Those of us who are in Christ can find such hope in victory in passages like this in Colossians 2, 13 and 15. Paul writes to the, to the church in Colossae. And it's a church of believers, so this message is to believers. Believers will find this hopeful. At least we should. Verse 13, Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. In other words, your, your sinful nature had not been cut away. You still had it and that's all you had. God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations. That was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a, a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Those of us who are in Christ, yes, the reality is we live in a fallen world and there is a spiritual battle all around us. Where every time that we try to claim ground in, uh, with God's strength and the Spirit of God in our life, we have to come to, to the reality that Satan is trying to counter that and take that ground back. That is true. But we also have to live in the paradox of reality that, yes, this is where we are, but our ultimate hope is in Jesus. And although we may be living here in a fallen world and trying to cling to faith in these moments, our hope is beyond these days. Our hope is in Jesus who secured our salvation, who secures our hope, who secures our peace, and who still offers us hope. Because he is the one who disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them. He went to the cross, and when the, when the Romans and when the Jews and, and the Greek-influenced people thought, finally we got him. And Jesus died on the cross, and he went into the tomb. And when they thought they had won, Jesus resurrected on the third day. If that doesn't move you spiritually, I don't know what will. He proved to you lost people and saved people that he is 
God. And he wants your worship. There is no DMZ. You're either on God's side or you're on the side of the evil one. Where do you stand this morning? If your hope is in just your random connection to this church, and if you've never submitted to Jesus Christ, your hope is in vain. If your hope is in the fact that, that you've, just, you've just read your Bible for a long time and you just know a bunch of Bible verses because you were raised in church and you've never left church, but if you've not repented of your sins, your hope is in vain. If, you're, if your hope is in the fact that you're just trying to be a good, moral, charitable person, your hope is in vain. If your hope is in the fact that, hey, at least I'm at church and I'm not at the bar, your hope is in vain. Receive it. Allow the Spirit of God to move you with it. Jesus died for you. He resurrected, proving that he is God, that that is, that he is our hope, that our victory is sure. Yes, we live in, on, on a fallen world, in a fallen world, and we're trying to cling to faith and faithfulness, but Jesus has overcome. He has overcome. It is high time that the people of God honor Jesus as king and not just settle for him just to be your savior. Because if he is your, if you think that he's your savior and not your king as well, I doubt your salvation. Because when Jesus becomes the savior in a soul, he becomes the Lord of that life. There is no delay. It's in that moment. Where do you stand? Where do you stand? What are you clinging to for the source of your hope? You're clinging to your family like, well, my grandpa was a very religious man. That hope is in vain. That hope is in vain. If you thought just simply coming here this morning was just gonna cure your life, and that the rest of your life could be lived for you. That hope is in vain. But if you have placed your life at the feet of the cross and you've repented of your sins, and if you've, you've turned from your wickedness and your wicked ways and your foolish attempts to just handle life on your own, and if you've given that to Jesus and you've taken up salvation, you've confessed that you're a sinner and you believed in, in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, then the Bible says you are saved and your hope is not in vain. Would you stand? I expect God to move today. I've expected him to move today. I've been spiritually struggling with this message. I think for this moment, because I think that I've actually been battling for some of you, been praying for you. What does God wanna do in you today? Have you been convicted? You feel a heaviness on your shoulders right now because you're not right with God? Come forward, make, make yourself known. We'll pray with you, lead you in a, 
in, in some scriptures that tell you how to, you can be saved. Maybe you, you know that you are a follower of Jesus and yet you've been putting your hope in other things. I would say the altars are open, come forward. This is the time for you. And yet maybe for you, you're just going through just a season of spiritual drought where your hope is waning. And maybe what you need to do is just come forward to God and say, God, just fill me up. Saturate me with your spirit. Of course, you don't have to come forward for these things, but something happens when someone is honest with God and honest with other people and they leave their seats and they take the spirit of humility and then they courageously come forward just to admit to God and other people, I don't have it all together. What's God doing in you? Don't wait a second if God is, is spurring you to move out of your seat and come forward and ask for prayer from someone else. Move now. Don't wait a second.